0: Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with PureAndSimpleBible.com. I am so thankful that you're with me again, and I'm grateful for another conversation to have with an excellent Bible student. This time, it's Levi Bailey. Now, Levi and I grew up together, but Levi moved to California and then moved back and is now a member of the congregation that I work with at Valley Parkway. And Levi is one of our teachers. He teaches from time to time, is an excellent student of the word. And recently he led a Bible study at our congregation about Psalm 23. But using a little book by Philip Keller, a shepherd from the Middle East, I think Eastern Africa about 100 years ago, using this little book, he brought some additional insight to Psalm 23 that I had not thought about before, and and maybe you haven't either. And so I'd like to introduce you to Levi, and he's going to have a conversation with me about Psalm 23, and you get the blessing of getting to sit in on it. So buckle up, and let's get started with a conversation on a shepherd's view of Psalm 23. Okay. So one of the things that I like to ask my guests to do is just kind of introduce themselves, maybe especially for people who listen to this who aren't familiar with who you are. So I know you, and we've grown up together. But uh, Levi, I want you to take a minute to introduce yourself to all those people out there who are going to be listening to sure. this program.
1: My name is Levi Bailey. I've been blessed to grow up in the church um, both sides of my family go back several generations of um, being part of the, the Lord's church. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways, it's a, a huge blessing to grow up with that pedigree. Um, in other cases, I've had to do some soul searching myself to make sure that I wasn't uh, just following along family traditions, mm-hmm. but had true beliefs myself. And so for the greater part of my adult life, my studies have been to uh, search my own soul and make sure that I'm studying things the way that that, um, that I understand them for myself and not just because it's what my parents and grandparents and great-grandparents believed.
0: Right. So that this isn't the, the, the study or the topic that you came in here for, but what you just said, it resonates with me too uh, as somebody that's grown up in the church, the idea of having to, that struggle to make your faith your own and not just kind of ride the coattails of those who've gone before you. Um, So if you don't mind, I'd just like to ask you a question about that for my own edification. When did you, well, if you can remember, where were you at in life whenever you kind of came to this realization of if I was born in a different family, could I have found the truth, or and I don't like that. Maybe I up till this point, it's it's not been my own. Or did you ever experience that?
1: Well, I definitely experienced something along those lines, and I think for me, it was when I first opened up the Bible to read it cover to cover on my own, mm-hmm. and I would run across scriptures that maybe I didn't hear preached on very often, and that were that were different or interesting or or maybe I thought I found a contradiction mm. and would have to study it a little bit deeper to understand exactly what does this mean? Because it's, it's uh, it's new to me. And that was scary in a way. Right. Um, and then, um, beyond that, it was when I was, um, being asked to be in the pulpit uh-huh. and start to to teach. It was very easily early on to maybe recycle lessons that I've Heard my dad preach all over the United States, and I could almost hear him in the back of my head saying the same lines. Yeah, it was a whole new experience to build on my own materials mm-hmm. and do studies on my own.
0: Mm-hmm. You preached this sermon. What was it like? Three Sundays ago, a month ago, a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. And it was it was wonderful. So I asked you to thank you join me in studio. Uh, y'all live in the Dallas area. Again, you've kind of gone back and forth from here in the West coast. After 10 years, we're back. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And, um, so you've, you've been at Valley Parkway for about a year, about a year. Happy anniversary. Yes. (laughs) In fact, it is almost exactly a year. All right. All right. Well, we're glad you're here and I'm glad that you're with me recording this because for those who are listening that, um, are not at Valley Parkway, uh, Levi gave a sermon on Psalm 23. And, uh, it's one of those things whenever you're getting ready to study it, you think, oh, I've heard this Psalm all my life. But by the end of it, I knew I wanted to have you on here because I thought so many people need to hear this who may have been like me. And at the beginning they saw the title and thought, okay, well, you know, I can kind of check out because I already know Psalm 23. Right. Exactly. that's my my first question for you would be, um, why why should we study this? You know, why this is one we already all know. Everybody knows Psalm 23. So why not just move on to something different? Well, I'll tell you for myself, I studied it for my own
1: good because I had had Psalm 23 memorized since I was very young. Mm. In fact, I think I told the story about how I was able to quote it um, in second grade, and I think it might have actually been third grade, but I was able to quote it the first week of school at a private school uh, without even really uh, knowing that I was going to be asked to quote any scripture at all. But even though I've known it since I was a, a child and I could quote the whole 23rd Psalm, I really didn't even know why it, what it meant or why it was so popular worldwide, and um, it took it took a in-depth study for me to really fully understand for myself the the inner meaning of it, mm-hmm. and and I struggle with, I struggle with um, poetic language and just in general some of the Old Testament um, scriptures, and so. So it was an introductory thing to me, too, to get into the Psalms a little bit more with one that I already knew.
0: Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah, I like it. It's the gateway into maybe other ones that can be challenging as well. Um, Something that you referenced in the study pretty early on was was a book. And it was written by Philip Keller. And so I know that's going to come up time and again, as you talk about different parts of the Psalm. So I thought maybe the audience might like to hear about maybe the the premise of this book and, and how it affected your study. Sure.
1: Well, as I started developing my knowledge of Psalm of the 23rd Psalm, the first thing that I, I read was basically the very first line, the Lord is my shepherd. And I realized very early on that, um, I don't know that much about sheep. I don't know that much about shepherds. Right. And this is going to be very important to know the details about um, what a shepherd is like and what sheep are like. And I'm, I'm aware that David was a shepherd and David knew about sheep. And so this must have been a very important Psalm to him to share with those around him. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I grew up in the 21st century of, Cars and automobiles. And right. and so Philip Keller, he wrote a book entitled A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. And he was a shepherd. Mm-hmm. And not only was he a shepherd, he was a shepherd in, I believe, East Africa. And also spent some time in more of the Holy Lands area. And um, in the old time tradition of being a shepherd, not with ATVs and not uh, okay. with these high technologies right. and drones and things that maybe modern shepherds might use. But old timey shepherds, very similar to what uh, David was and wrote about in
0: the 23rd Psalm. Right, because that would be a profession that from David in what, like a thousand A.D.? Something so, like that. Or th- right, B.C. B.C. Uh, so from like a thousand B.C. till 18, 1900 A.D., there really would not be a whole lot of changes in that region as far as like how they shepherded right because the technology didn't change a lot and then the last hundred years or so we we would see there would be some dramatic shifts but so his book is written in the tradition of somebody who would kind of know exactly what david was doing as a shepherd
1: yes and it was very valuable to me to to learn and to hear some of his stories and some of those that i'll be happy to share to the best of my ability I've read the book twice. It doesn't take long to read. I would recommend it to people to read. It's maybe three and a half hours to read it. Um, but it's been a few years since I've read it. So every once in a while I get my stories mixed up. But I'll do the best I can to share the stories that he has in the book. And um, it was it was super beneficial to me. And I, I hope to other people who listen also.
0: Yeah. Well, you're, the structure that you presented it at, at church... And uh, maybe for people that like to, if you're listening to this and you you like to take notes, basically what we'll do is you kind of just read one line from the psalm and then offer some insight, sometimes from Philip Keller and sometimes uh, from the New Testament words of Jesus or some of the apostles. And and, uh, it's just meant to kind of go line by line through it. And um, by the end of it, there's this appreciation maybe that there wasn't before. So, I thought that would be what we would do. That sounds great. Tonight. So um, in that first line, the Lord is my shepherd, you kind of just mentioned it a bit ago, but maybe I'd like to invite you to um, consider again with this, how David's experience as a shepherd would make him unique to writing this versus, let's say, Solomon or, you know, somebody else who wasn't a shepherd. What what sure. What about being a shepherd would make it so special? Well, I I wanted to dig into that
1: a little bit myself. And I thought it was interesting that David said the Lord is my shepherd, and in another way to say that is David is saying I am a sheep. Right. And like I said, I don't, didn't know anything about sheep. And so when I looked and I I looked up sheep and learned three valuable things for me. That number 1, sheep are dirty animals. Mm. They're they're not what I pictured a sheep being—this beautiful white, uh-huh. bleach, blonde puffball <laughs> okay. out in green grass. Right. But they—they uh, they get everything from mud to insects to animals in their wool. Right. And
0: their wool is basically Velcro to whatever it touches. That, that's right.
1: <laughs> and I—I never thought about a sheep being that way because I had only seen them at the the county fair paraded across the, oh, okay. the stage, and they were very nicely groomed, and um. And so David is saying, "I'm a sheep, so I am this this dirty creature,-huh. And secondly, sheep are defenseless. That's what I learned. and i I had heard this before about how sheep can't outrun their predators or fight them off. Right. They need their shepherd for defenses. And then also that sheep are dumb. It's three d's dirty, <laughs> defenseless, and dumb and um and sheep need their their shepherd to bring that knowledge of how they can survive. Mm. And, and so the Lord being our shepherd, we know that he's able to, to help us with cleansing us when we sin. And he's able to help us when we're defenseless. He gives us the plan of salvation to, to uh, be able to pardon our sins. Mm. And then he's able to inspire the word of God and give us the knowledge that we need um for everything that we need in life. And so when I started thinking about the um the sheep in these three categories and then David is proudly proclaiming the Lord is his shepherd, he has the very best shepherd. Mm-hmm. And um and I love that. I love the the the
0: thought. Right. And and you make this connection to to Philip Keller's experience of the sheep being proud of a, a shepherd that takes care of him versus the neighbor's flock that maybe wouldn't have been as proud. And you mentioned them time to time. Is is this, if I'm getting the the narrative right, is this the part where you talk about how he had to notch their ear and Correct. and and make the the flock identifiable to him? Right. When when Philip
1: got his first uh, sheep his neighbor who was already a shepherd and already had sheep brought over a sharp knife and said, now that you have sheep and I have sheep, you need to put a distinctive notch in the sheep's ears so that we can tell them apart. Mm. And that story really hit home with me because Philip said that from that point on the sheep knew him as their shepherd and he could identify the individual sheep. Uh, Of course, Jesus in John, the 10th chapter, verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Mm -hmm. And um, and the thought crossed my mind as I'm walking about my life. Am I wearing that distinctive notch in my ear where people can look at me and know who my shepherd is? Yeah. Am I am I living my life in that way that my light is shining before men?
0: I like that question. And I like the thought that, that we have been marked by the Lord. And so it should be identifiable. It should be easy for people to see. Um, so, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That can be just an abstract phrase in and of itself. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, you you begin with a story to, to help... Um, the audience understand what what may be meant by I shall not want with a fence crawler. So tell us about a fence crawler, it is, how it's going to help us understand Psalm 23.
1: Right. So a, a good shepherd is providing for his sheep's every need. And we know that the Lord is our shepherd. He's giving us everything that we need. Yet somehow, sheep don't always behave the way that you would expect when they're given everything they need. Right. Philip talks about how he was a very good shepherd, Philip Keller. He was a good shepherd. His, his grass was green. His fences were nicely mended. His mm. sheep were were um, very well taken care of. And his neighbor next to him would not tend his own lands. His, they, they were full of pests and, and mud puddles right. and everything was horrible. Yet somehow he had this one ewe that he called a fence crawler that was always looking for a loophole to get into the neighbor's brown, dirty, mangy <laughs> pasture. Right. And time after time, he would have to go rescue this ewe out of the neighbor's pasture. He didn't know how it crawled over the fence or under the fence or found a way in there, but he would always bring him back or bring her back. And And it wasn't until she started teaching her young ones uh-huh. to get... To start crawling the fence that yeah. he realized, I got to put a stop to this and had to slaughter this you. And this concept of being a fence crawler, when we have the Lord is our good shepherd mm-hmm. and he's given us everything we need. We sh- we don't want for anything. Yet from time to time, we see those even within our flock that are working their way towards the fences, towards the borders and sometime getting on the wrong side of the fence. Right. And it's, sometime it's us and we find ourselves on the wrong side of the fence and we need to be rescued and brought back on the right side. And other times we see those around us and we need to uh, keep an eye out for those fence Mm -hmm. crawlers and put an arm around them and start bringing them back and reminding them that the Lord is our shepherd. He's given us everything we need right here. And uh, we're on the, in the good pasture.
0: I like how, In that example, the consequence when the one goes astray was different than when it was leading others to go astray with it. And that's, I think, a pattern you find in the New Testament as well. Not that we want one person to leave, but there's a stronger reaction whenever somebody is either teaching either publicly or or privately or through example that are, it's confusing others in the church as well. The the leadership is supposed to react I really step in then. Yeah. In a in a decisive way. And uh that it makes sense. Um you use the parable of the sower in Luke chapter eight, this idea of like the thorns choking out the cares of this world and and so it's you know we're mixing metaphors here, but that idea that the pasture on the other side or the the th- thorn-covered ground, it really can choke you out quicker than maybe you thought if you didn't have good faith. That's right. Well, um, so that's kind of the end of a sentence. Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I think this first part of the, with my kids, shame on me, in the time of this recording, I don't think they have it memorized 100%. We've been working on it since you preached at Valley Parkway. So we're still, we're getting there. This first couple sentences is the easy part and they'll say the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside the still waters (laughs) they start to kind of (laughs) taper off in that one so we'll get to those but we're here in the second sentence that is very commonly known and that is that he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside the still waters um i really liked what philip keller said about how sheep Like they had to have certain things before they'll lay down. And here David is saying, I'm willing to lay down in green pastures. So can you help us understand what Philip writes about in his book so that we can appreciate what David was saying when he makes that phrase?
1: Well, most of my life when I quoted the 23rd Psalm or read it, in this verse, the word green jumped out to me. The green pastures and my mind would think about green pastures. right? But David, uh, I mean, Philip Keller, he says that the thing that jumped out to him was that, that David was willing to say that he was a sheep willing to lie down. And why, I never really thought a, about yeah. lie, a sheep lying down. But Philip Keller says that there are four distinct things that a sheep must have right. before it'll lie down. And the very first one is, they must be free from any outside attack. Mm-hmm. If they can hear a coyote or hear a wolf or or even sense that there is any kind of an attacker out there, they won't lie down. He tells a story of of a visitor that came to see him and brought a small little toy dog with him, a, a, a <laughs> Pekingese, I think it was. And um, and the whole time that they were there, this tiny little dog that really was no problem to the sheep at all the sheep would not lie down and would not rest the they entire enemy. Tr- time that this 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 dog was there. Uh, second thing, besides the free from fear, there also needs to be no tension or friction within the other sheep um, in the fold. And he talks about how sheep, they have a pecking order or a, a butting order where they <laughs> literally will butt heads <laughs> and determine who is the top sheep and who's the second and the third and the fourth. And until they determine that, no one will lie down, mm. because it is the top of the budding order that gets to pick the best spot to lie down right. in first. Right. And so they have to determine that before anything, before any of the other sheep will lie down. Huh. And then third, sheep must be free from torment of flies and pest, and that makes sense, and and it makes sense why David would say the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want and I'm willing to lie down. I have no tormentors. I have mm-hmm. no pests. I have nothing that's buzzing around me right now. I, I feel stress free, in other words. And the last thing is that they must be well fed and free from hunger. Mm. And um, and so until a sheep can satisfy all four of these, they won't lie down. If they're still hungry, they're going to keep on their feet and keep grazing until that hunger is uh is gone.
0: Right. And and the, the this next phrase goes with it cuz I I didn't know that sheep as they graze oftentimes won't need to drink if there's enough dew on the grass or that's everything. something that I learned
1: also. I I thought when I would read this from time to time he leads me beside still waters, okay, yeah, the the shepherd brings the sheep to water, but from what I learned is that there are certain months of the year that the sheep can get enough uh, liquid nourishment Mm. from the dew on the grass in the morning and the evening to not need to drink water. But when that time comes, the summer months or whatever it is that the the heat or the, the weather is not right, the shepherd must know where to find water. Right. Right. And we'll have to lead the sheep away from the pastures or away from the sheepfold, wherever they're at, to go find those those uh, still waters. And it has to be still. It can't be a rushing river. The sheep will get nervous and not even get close to the, the rushing huh. water. Wow. But it has to be quiet waters for the sheep to, to drink from.
0: I like the scripture you have in your study, uh, this New Testament connection. I use it a lot, lot, lot. Uh, from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 6. Yes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Because all of us have been hungry or thirsty at one point. This It really is probably one of the, the base human connections from Scripture to us being like, oh, I felt that way. And I like how you kind of end this section by saying, uh, are we hungering and thirsting for what the Lord has is is offering us or are we you know kind of satisfied in our own devices and and I feel like when it comes to reading the bible studying the bible pray, these things that are daily activities or consistent activities that we should be doing is a good um uh, indicator of of where we're at with the lord and man it would be easy for people to feel guilty, like, oh, I forgot to read the Bible today. Jonathan's telling me I have a terrible relationship with the Lord. And I'm not intending this to make people feel guilty. But in the times when I've spoken with people who are in the lowest of lows, kind of the way a doctor will kind of start off with a checklist. Okay, how's your blood pressure? How's this or that? One of the first questions I ask is, "Tell me about your Bible reading. Tell me about your prayer life." And it is pretty common to hear people say, "Well, I haven't been reading. It's been it's been two months since I picked up my Bible." I'm like, okay. Right. Well, that the little things add up. I think
1: it's very common for people to get try to get by life with only that thirty minutes of of scripture on a Sunday morning. Right. And that nourishment somehow is supposed to last them until the next (laughs) Sunday morning. Right. And, and for a a few weeks, maybe they can get by with it. But at some point that dark time is going to come where they need the, they need the nourishment. They need to get hungry and thirsty. And I've absolutely been there in my life and, um, and life gets busy Mm -hmm. and life gets stressful. And I shared this, but I am so thankful for my young daughters that they are hungry and thirsty after righteousness, that they will not let us go to bed until mm-hmm. we hear some Bible <laughs> uh, stories or some Bible being read. Yeah, And there are times where the lights are already off, but they still want it. And so then it's up to me to tell them a Bible story from yeah. memory or to quote them some scripture from memory and to satisfy that hunger and thirst. And it is so helpful to me to have that influence in my life with these young, pure hearts.
0: Oh, yes. I feel like being a father, um, but also being the son of a preacher, there were certain things that I took for granted or just kind of supposed that they happened. And it wasn't until I became a father that I realized that, oh, this was, you know, dad did really take time. Mom really did take time to train us and here I am just assuming that my kids are going to get it for the 23rd Psalm, for example. I've just, I've known that Psalm my whole life. And then I challenged my kids to say it and they couldn't get through all of it. And I realized, oh, here, even though my dad was a preacher, mom was a preacher's wife, they were taking time out to make sure that I was getting what I needed as a kid. And so I'd better be doing the same with mine. So there it was it, kind of a, overwhelming but also inspiring moment from that sermon that you gave that helped me recognize I need to, I can't assume that kids are going to get it by osmosis. Yeah, it's, I think we all have those wake-up calls
1: <laughs> where where we realize, wow, that, they're asking a question that I thought they would know the answer to. <laughs> right. I, I've got some work mm-hmm. to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, in Psalm 23, uh, it The scripture says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. We're on the phrase, he restores my soul. And you begin with this idea of the cast sheep. And could you tell us about that? So I learned
1: that that just after a sheep lies down, sometimes they can't get back up again. And this is called a cast sheep. (laughs) And a lot of times it's the healthiest, the sheep. It's the the fattest sheep. It's the sheep with the the most wool. And this wool will either get stuck in the mud or it'll get caught in the thorns. Mm. And the sheep will be on its side or on its back and not be able to restore itself back to its feet. It needs a good shepherd to come and find those cast sheep and to stand them back up again to restore them. And I think it's just something that we can identify so much with needing the Lord as our shepherd to right. restore us back on our feet when we get down in a mud hole and um, we need to get back on our feet again.
0: Yeah, that that New Testament connection that you have in your study, Luke 15, about um, the lost sheep, the cast sheep, you know, one out of a hundred. I think about Jesus. I'm just visualizing a Savior in the form of a shepherd with a hundred sheep that says, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go. And 99, like if he doesn't take the time to watch them all stand up and move on, if he just says, let's go, let's go, and then he moves on, how easy it would be for that one to kind of get left behind. And we usually think of this little bitty lamb that's an adventurous climber that goes off into the mountain somewhere. But this is a very realistic uh, view of, of... a sheep that just gets stuck in the mud and can't get up. I right. like that. Paths of righteousness for his namesake, paths of righteousness for his namesake. Why do we need to be led in paths of righteousness? Why why don't we just stay in green pastures?
1: I had the same question. Leading through paths of righteousness, what are these paths of righteousness? Uh-huh. What is this all about? And Philip Keller talks about these paths that the shepherd leads their sheep in the Middle East and you look at the these hillsides and you might not even see green on the hillside. You have to get really close to see these little shoots of grass, but there are these very distinct paths. They almost look like hiking trails, but mm. they are spaced up the hillside.
0: Well, we're going to pause it right there and you're going to have to come back next week if you want to hear the second part of this very encouraging insightful study on the 23rd psalm like i told levi psalm 23 has been part of my life for a very long time and so sometimes it's easy with these scriptures that have been with us for a while uh, to take advantage of them and that means use them but never really study them in their context and so to take the time to see it from a shepherd's shepherd's view has been very helpful for me and i hope it is for you as well now until next week, when the second part of this mini series airs, you can go to the website and you can look at all of the resources that are available for you to download and use absolutely free at www.pureandsimplebible.com. So go check it out. Until then, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. We're willing. See you soon. Well,
1: I'm
0: here to tell you a story, a story that is true. About a judge by the name of Giddy, he was a man like me and you.